Welcome to the Leadership Development Group's Health Ecosystem Leadership Podcast Series. We're excited to have you join us. My name is Tracy Duberman. I'm the founder and CEO of the Leadership Development Group. We are a global coaching and leadership development consultancy with an exclusive focus in the health industry. Over the years, we've had the distinct pleasure of working with some of the brightest talent in our industry, leaders who are clearly making a difference in the work they do to provide high quality care for those in need while designing approaches to enhance health and wellness. The purpose of this podcast series is to showcase how leadership is the essential ingredient to address the ever-growing issues and challenges facing the U.S. healthcare industry. As we know through our work, the great majority of these challenges are too complex and wide-ranging for any one sector to solve independently. This is where a health ecosystem leadership approach pays more than significant dividends. Solutions which emphasize how the various sectors of the health industry operate interdependently are the only ones with the potential to deliver on critical imperatives like affordability, access, and outcomes. During this podcast series, we will introduce you to some of the best and brightest health ecosystem leaders who will share practical examples of how they have successfully demonstrated a collaborative mindset, as well as the critical behaviors that lead to positive outcomes for their organizations, their patients, and the communities they serve. I'm excited today to welcome Michael Dowling, President and CEO of Northwell Health, to our podcast. Northwell is the largest integrated healthcare system in New York State, with a total workforce of more than 70,000 employees and $12 billion in annual revenue. Northwell is one of the nation's largest health systems. In addition to being president and CEO and an acclaimed healthcare executive, Michael is also an author of a number of books, including his most recent, Leading Through a Pandemic, The Inside Story of Humanity, Innovation, and Lessons Learned During the COVID-19 Crisis. In this episode, I sit down with Michael to discuss the ramifications of the COVID-19 pandemic, the critical need for enhanced long-term support and attention to public health, and the important role of health ecosystem leaders in stewarding the national conversation. Thank you and welcome, Michael. There is a lot that we could be focusing on today, but because our interest um, with uh, our podcast, which is around health ecosystem leadership, I'd like to focus on, uh, on much of what you've said in your book, uh, leading through a pandemic that I thought uh, was really telling about the state of the industry and wow. what it is that we as healthcare leaders need to be doing differently as we think about the future. In particular, you talked about four lessons learned during the pandemic, which I think are, were very uh, articulated very well and very simple to understand. The first of which was that the U.S. was completely unprepared. The second is that we need to have a domestic supply chain for future pandemics. Uh, God forbid. The third is a need for international cooperation, which is something that we talk about a lot in the book that we wrote around uh, from competition to collaboration. And also the need to focus more on developing leaders leaders in the public health uh, arena. Um, clearly, that's a place where you came from. And, and obviously, your career uh, shows much success. Um, all of this being said, what do you think are the biggest public health crises that are facing the nation today? I think it is uh, 
a basic overall inability to plan for that which might make you terribly uncomfortable and inability to be prepared for disasters that will occur. I mean, I think we have this sense that uh, we're all fine today, you know, we're doing well, and we have a problem, we'll overcome it, but we don't need to do any long-term planning for the inevitability of something like this happening again in the future. And when I say long-term planning, I'm talking about a lot of the, all of the basic elements of a good public health infrastructure, which is, are we ready to do all of the testing we need to do? Are the labs ready to do the testing that we would need to do if we have a problem again? What do we do with regard to tracing and surveillance? How do we anticipate these issues in the future so that we can plan for them? Uh, supply chain, we were unbelievably ill-prepared. Uh, uh, you know, we have stockpiles um, bought at the state and the federal level, and when we actually needed them, we find out that so much of the stuff that was in there was out of date. Was out of date. And our local public health departments, and I would say this is probably one of the biggest issues, our local public health departments have been unbelievably underfunded for the past 20, 30 years. I mean, I'm very familiar with them around the region. And with the exception probably of New York City itself, but when you go outside New York City, and I'm sure this is true, and I know it is true in many parts of the country, uh, local public health departments are basically undermanned, understaffed, uh, have little capability, uh, and in many ways, health systems like us have to fill in the void. Yeah. So um, we now, especially right after what we went through in the last 17 months, uh, leadership should now be thinking about what kind of capabilities that we need to develop resource-wise and personnel-wise so that we're in a situation when this happens again, not if, but when, that we have a robust infrastructure that we can actually depend upon. And we're not running around scrambling like, uh, you know, with our heads cut off trying to figure out how do we handle this uh, in the middle of a crisis, which is very, very hard to do and almost impossible to do, in fact. Yeah. So I would say um, um, uh, uh, that's a kind of a kind of a comprehensive look at it because you can't just take one little thing. It's, it's, it's the whole gestalt of all of the pieces that you put together that makes it work. Yeah. You just do one little thing. Uh, and you don't do the others. It, uh, it's all integrated. Are you optimistic that the pandemic has changed the national conversation around public health? I'm optimistic at the moment that there is a more intelligent view about the importance of public health. The trouble is, is how long it, 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 it's, it's, it's the sustainability of that that matters. Mm -hmm. So if, for example, uh, national leadership changes, um, and then you could have a reversal. Um, so you don't build anything in two or three periods of time. It, you know, you've got to work on this over a decade if you're serious about making an intelligent impact. So, I, you know, we're very sh we think short term all the time. Uh, we're very focused on next month, next quarter the end of the year, the next election cycle. But what we need to be doing is transcend this, uh, those timeframes to be looking long term. So I'm optimistic in the short run, it will depend upon what happens with national leadership in the long run, because you have to have a commitment to this. Yeah. This is not a project, you've got to understand. And I would, I would basically say that this is national security. Yeah. 
This is a national security issue. It's more than just a health issue. It's a national security issue. We were not invaded by an army of uh, personnel last year. We were invaded by a virus. Um, and, an, and an enemy that we didn't, we couldn't even see or touch. And uh, that, that brought us to our knees, more so than anything else in the last 50 years has done. So you have to look at it in that context. It's a national security issue. Yeah. Thinking about um, the industry that we are in, the healthcare industry, yeah. what role do you think uh, leaders like yourself should play in stewarding conversations around public health? I think we have a huge role, uh, and, and I, I put it this way, and I've talked about this before. You have there are two basic roles I believe you have. One is you've got to manage your and lead your organization that you're in charge of. I mean, you have that fiduciary responsibility. But then you have a major responsibility to the community at large, especially if you're a leader that has some kind of influence and people listen to you. That you shouldn't constrain yourself and contain yourself to that which is inside the walls of your own organization. You've got to be very interested and be and vocal about what we do to build a community of effort. This is why, for example, I've been very vocal on gun violence. You know, people have said to me, "Well, stay in your lane. You know, you're in the healthcare business. What are you involved? Why are you involved in gun violence? Well, gun violence is a health issue. It's a public health issue. It's one of the biggest public health issues." So I think it's important to be in, out there talking about this. Similarly, with the broader infrastructure of public health, um, what is it about? You know, what are our roles? The, our role is, is, to, is to build community, to, to get people to understand the interdependence among us all, that we are all interdependent. And, you know, you know, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. You know, you can't live in isolation, especially in the world today that we live in, which is so interconnected. Um, you can't disconnect from an interconnected world. So we do have a broad responsibility. Some people are nervous about doing this. Some people are scared about doing this. Um, and to me, um, you have to be. You have to get out there, challenge, constructively challenge, and help lead and uh, educate. And uh, part of this is all about education. Most people don't even know what public health is. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, we've got. Uh, you know, the people right today that won't get vaccinated, they're damaging the public health. They're putting the public in danger. Um, and therefore, we have to get them to understand there is that communal responsibility that we have to one another. And therefore, in answer to your question, um, we, um, uh, we definitely have a major, major responsibility. We've got to take it more seriously. Absolutely. And, and it's amazing to me how the past 18 months has help to speed up the understanding of how important social determinants of health are in terms of overall health and wellness. What well, do you think? I mean, yeah, and that's a very important point, Tracy, because only about 10 to 15% of those things that impact a person's health uh, can be, can be uh, enhanced by clinical care. It's um, individual behaviors, it's social determinants, it's biology, genetics. Uh, you know, so healthcare organizations like hospitals, doctors, we get blamed for an awful lot of things that are in many ways outside of direct control. But that doesn't mean that we cannot and should not be the catalyst to get other people into the picture to say it is your responsibility as well. I get upset when I walk through any local store, I mean grocery store, 
when I walk by and see all of the food that is advertised that you probably shouldn't eat if you want to promote your own health. And then there is the housing issue, the food insecurity issue, all of those things, the gun violence issue. And so if you're interested in health overall, it is much larger than medical care. You know, medical care is a small component of overall health. And and one other last point, we have to take heads on the the, the responsibility individuals have for their own health. You can't, you can't do, you know, have behaviors that directly cause damage to your health. And then when something happens to you, you blame somebody else for it. You blame the hospital, you blame the doc, you blame the nurse, you blame whomever is next, next door to you. But you have an individual responsibility. And I think that we have got to put, back, put, put that issue smack center of the debate going forward, which again makes people nervous. You're blaming the person. I'm not blaming you. I'm basically trying to say you do have responsibilities, not somebody else. Absolutely. You know, it it always strikes me when I listen to you, Michael, and I've been a big fan for many, many years, that your experience in Ireland, um, growing up in Ireland, the way that you did, the grit and resilience that you developed through your experiences there, and then working in government and public health has created... um, a sense of leadership that you have that many other CEOs don't necessarily have because they haven't had your experiences. So I ask this, this is a lead into my next question, which is as we emerge from the past 18 months and we look forward to the future of healthcare, what do you envision could be different and how can we as healthcare leaders build back better than we have now? Well, I think that uh, we have to build back better because I think everybody right now in, any, in every industry is trying to reimagine what their organization needs to look like five, 10 years from now, based upon the experience of the past 17 months. Because we've all been unbelievably affected by this. It has changed our perspective on life and on our responsibility and obligation to society at large. So in healthcare, I think that we have to be thinking an awful lot more about how we promote wellness and how we, and, and there's many, many avenues on how to do this, but we, are, we, sh- we have to be thinking that we're not only in the business of taking care of people after they get sick. Now we have to do that well because people will get sick, especially with the demographics, the aging of the society, et cetera. We have to do that expertly. But we have to be dealing with um, the wellness prevention, social responsibility issues. We have to be figuring out how to maximize the use of technology and how to become much much more consumer oriented. Um, I I tell my staff all the time, and today we hired about 260 people this morning. We hire about 200 people a week. I meet all of them. I I spent a long time this morning with all the new employees. And... um, we need. We are a consumer industry. Uh, we're a consumer-facing industry. We're in the service business. So how do we think consumer? It's it's what matters to the consumer that is important. And I say to them, you know, ask people that come to us not what's the matter with you, but ask them what matters to you. That makes a huge difference. Consumers are going to drive us if we don't change ourselves. Consumers, especially the up-and-coming consumers, for technology savvy. They're going to determine our future. Either they're going to determine we don't have a future 
or they're going to determine what kind of future we're going to have. So you, the use of technology, the expansion of ambulatory and much more, and we are already doing this, many more services outside the hospital. The hospital should be basically an ICU, high-end chronic illness treatment and, and delivering babies. Everything else, for the most part, be done outside the hospital. Um, the aging issue um, is a huge issue. We have to figure out how do we become age-friendly as an organization because the bulk of healthcare costs, as you know, the demographics in this area and in other areas, uh, we have to be really, really conscious of how we react to the aging population. And then um, uh, we have to be much more interdisciplinary. I mean, the reason, let me explain what I mean by that. COVID was a wonderful experiment for us. Mm. We're better off because we went through it. You know, in many ways, COVID gave us a kick in the butt. Yeah. You know, we were all happy and last March, March, January of 2020, we were all feeling great. The economy was doing well. We're looking at our business. Everything is great. We're looking forward, you know, to St. Patrick's Day. You're looking forward to being Irish. You're looking forward to the summer. And all of a sudden, this thing came on and kicked us right in the rear end. And realized, uh, we realized how fragile we are. Yeah. Um, so now we have to, you know, figure out how we come back strong. But understanding that there's that inherent fragility that we have to protect ourselves against. And so um, during COVID, all of the various disciplines in healthcare, whether it be dermatology, orthopedics, cardiac, all worked together on the floors of the hospital. I walked every COVID unit every day. I was in every hospital every day. I walked through every COVID unit. And you had all the various disciplines clinical disciplines, working arm in arm in total unity, not in their individual silos. Well, how do we, how do, we do that now going forward? And if we figure out how to do it, we're going to change healthcare. We're going to be able to provide a holistic view of what we should be doing health-wise if we can modify that going forward. So it's a reimagining issue now. And I think it'll take us a while because we're going to have a remote, a big part of the workforce will be remote. Yeah, yeah, it's a whole new way. How do you lead from a distance? You know, the employees are here with us before COVID. We could get together with them all the time. But now I have 10,000 people working at home or working mm -hmm. remote. I don't see them all the time. I see them on Zoom. I see them on Microsoft Teams. I'm not with them. What does that do to culture? What does it do to mission commitment? What does it do to socialization? Um, I think it'll take us a while to figure this out because we're going to have a hybrid. People coming to work and people staying away from the location of employment. But we're all working in the same entity. And what does all that mean for what, how we deliver care in the future? Yeah. Uh, it's an exciting time. I think it's a great time, by the way, because it gets you to rethink everything that you thought you knew. Yeah, no, 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 no doubt about it. And it's certainly um, looking at your career history, your life to date. Uh, it seems that every time there has been a significant challenge that has that you've confronted, you have leapt over that challenge and become an even more important leader. You've taken those lessons learned. Well, I yeah, I mean, I you know we. 
we can't just exist. We, we're here for a, we're here for, we're here for a short period of time. It's a relatively short journey. The question is, is that you've got to find meaning in what you know what provides meaning to life, right? What you're engaged in gives you meaning. And so the journey is short. And the question is, is what do you want to do? You want to exist or you want to make a difference? Yeah, yeah. And uh, you you want to be an, an employee of an organization or you want to belong to a cause. Yeah. I tell my employees all the time that they belong to a mission. Not They're not here to have a, to have a job. They have an obligation and a responsibility. Absolutely. That, that is very, very important moving forward. It's the creating a sense of purpose. So not only do leaders have to figure out how to work in this new hybrid environment, but also how do they connect to a sense of purpose for everybody that works within the organization? It's very important. The other thing that we need to be doing is we need to be working more closely with pharma, with the food industry, uh, with other in the, we're all in the healthcare business. If you broaden the definition of health broadly, we're all in it. The people who sell Coca-Cola are in the health business, yeah, for good or bad, right? Yeah, no, I I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, it's much bigger than health, than the traditional definition of health, because people will say, uh, you know, look at Europe, their metrics are better than ours, and that's one of the issues you raise, and certain areas they're better and other areas they're not. But you're looking at society in general, but people say, okay, well, if it's bad, the responsibility has to be the hospital and the docs, right? Yet is going back to what we said at the beginning, our, our impact is minimal in a lot of the things that cause ill health. Yeah. So it's every party's responsibility. Uh, gun violence, uh, you know, for example, um, um, mortality stats, you know, uh, car deaths, uh, suicide rates, gun violence are all included in the mortality stats. Um, but that's not necessarily something that is can directly be taken care of just by a hospital in a local community is what goes on outside. That's right. We got to be changing our thinking here a little bit. Yes. And, and we have to start having conversation with people that are stakeholders to health and wellness that are outside of our immediate industry, whether it's providers, pharmaceutical companies, insurance companies, et cetera. We're talking more broadly speaking. So how do you, because you've done this very well, you obviously have a vision in mind. Um, for your organization and for yourself as a leader, how do you bring other people along into your vision? How do you get them involved? Um, constant, constant communication and getting, getting them to feel that they're, they have, that they're part of the solution, that they belong to coming up with something good. Mm -hmm. um, and that, uh, we are, we are basically part of a, lot, a big family, and families work if they work together. So no one piece of it can succeed without the other pieces working well together. And that doesn't mean families don't have problems. That means they don't fight and they don't argue and they don't, you know, become disruptive ever so often. All of us have, been, have experienced that. But um, it's inspiring people to think of something beyond themselves that um, it's not you, it's, it's what you do for others. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, you know, getting into belong to, as I mentioned, while they're all cause. So, you know, I, I spend an awful lot of time with employees. And, uh, you know, and I, which is what I love doing, by the way. And uh, especially, you know, you know, just be a regular person, believe in what you believe in, 
have integrity. Don't make it about you. Don't make it about like I'm making, my, I'm making myself special because this is what I want you to do. I want you to do because it's good for you as well. So you build that sense of team, teamwork, collaboration. And if, you, if there's a consistency in that message, you make a difference. It can't be like, I'll talk about teamwork this month, but next month I'll do something different. That has to be a consistency to the message over time. Mm-hmm. And it has to be given with integrity and compassion. And, 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 and ever so often, a little bit tough ever so often, I suppose. But um, uh, then I think you can gain adherence. Leadership is about having followership. And this goes internationally as well. I mean, uh, you know, I'm a big believer that we should, the United States has to become the, na- the national leader to get other countries together on um, preparing for future pandemics, figuring out how to uh, anticipate, how to monitor, uh, how to analyze, and how then to work together, uh, especially when we're dealing with things like uh, viruses. Because remember, COVID, the virus is never going to be over. We're just going to learn how to live with it. Yeah. It, yeah. Will, uh, it will modify itself, change. There'll be no ones. We'll take care of this one and no one will pop up. It's always been part of our lives. Yeah. Um, if, if viruses don't mutate, that would be the real surprise. The fact that they mutate all the time is people get surprised. We have a new variant. Sure, that happens all the time. And our bodies change. Our immune system adapts, reacts to it, fights it, wins, loses, etc. Yeah. It's an interesting dynamic. It's part of the old, we're all part of the old, you know, the ecology of life here. Yeah. You know, as we, um, as we look at uh, hopefully emerging from the pandemic, the idea of physician and employee burnout has begun to emerge as part of the national conversation around health and wellness. What role do you feel CEOs like yourself and other organizational leaders play in preventing or helping to alleviate burnout? Well, I'll probably get myself a little trouble here now. Um, I, we have to be very, very careful not to over-exaggerate what's happening. Okay. I mean, we, there is this tendency to believe that anybody that's under any kind of stress and has any kind of workload that might be a little bit uh, overloading, that all of a sudden it's burnout. Um, ever so often, you've got to be willing to suck it up a little bit. Um, that does not mean that there's not burnout. We've got to deal with it. We've got to deal with the social issues, the behavioral issues, provide as much balance to life as possible. Uh, but we cannot be saying that everything that happens, any kind of inconvenience uh, that m- might, you know, can be claimed as being burnout. I mean, I think there's balance. I mean, hard work never killed anybody, right? In my view. Um, mm-hmm. So ever so often, you've got to be able to put up with a little, of this own, a little discomfort and deal with it. It's normal. So let's focus on the serious stuff. And I think um, um, uh, in healthcare, uh, we put an awful lot of um, excessive regulation on people. We regulate it to death. We have data and documentation up the wazoo. Most of it pretty much irrelevant that we're trying to get rid of. And then, of course, we suffer from being you can't, with, with, the, with the internet, you can't get away from it anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, you go on vacation, but you're still connected. Yeah. You go home, you're connected. If I go home at night, I'm, I leave the office like 7 o'clock, I may have got all my emails done. I look at my phone at 10 o'clock, I have another 500 emails. Oh. Right? 
So um, the, 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 the things that were supposed to make life easy for us are making life much more difficult for us. Yeah, in many ways. The inappropriateness of an awful lot of the communication that goes on, you're on all the time. You can't get away from it. And it's impossible. That's, of course, why you can work remotely. It makes it easier in that regard. But on the people, on, 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 the, on the, the burnout, um, um, getting groups of people together, working on the mental health issues, the behavioral issues, all of the social issues that I think we've got to be emphasizing an awful lot more, while at the same time not over-exaggerating or claiming that everything that happens that might be a little bit troublesome is burnout. And what role do you think um, organizations should play as it relates to employee wellness and providing for opportunities for employee wellness? I think it has to be uh, a center of everything because the greatest asset that you have in your organization are the employees. And, uh, and we dem- that was demonstrated during COVID. Uh, what, ha- what the employees did was absolutely extraordinary. And we spent an awful lot of time during COVID working on the safety and the health and well-being of our employees. We did more during COVID than we ever did before. Now we have to maintain that effort as we go forward and as we emerge from COVID. So it's, it's the empl- what we do for the employee and what we do for the employee's family. Mm-hmm. How we make the family connections, uh, um, the, the, in, how we improve those connections. Um, so um, for us, it's a huge, huge priority. And we have extraordinary programs all over the place working on employee wellness. Um, and, you know, you know, we have an employer. I spend an awful lot of money in employee health. Okay. And therefore, I want to make sure that the healthier I make my employees, looking at purely from a business point of view, the less money I spend. Yeah. The less money I spend inappropriately on on. Illness for employees, if they didn't have it, I would save that money, which can be, can be applied to other priorities. Could you provide an example of a way in which Northwell has collaborated with an unlikely partner to enhance health and wellness in the communities that you serve? Uh, uh, well, uh, we worked, uh, we worked with the airline industry in a lot of training and education. Uh, we've worked with uh, I, I've hired and you know, I've worked with Ritz Carlton. I've, I've um, hired people from the Ritz Carlton. Ah. Um, my my food service is run by Michelin star chefs. I think that is an unlikely. The, the, the chief chef of the health system today was the chief chef at the Plaza Hotel. Okay. The number, the number two chef chef ran some of the top owned and ran some of the top restaurants in Paris. You come to our hospital today, uh, in fact, let me put it this way, many people have called me up to say, is it possible for this to, for them to come to the hospital for lunch because the food is so good? Uh, and I'm not kidding here. I mean, it is extraordinary. I have five Michelin star chefs because food is medicine. Food is wellness. Yeah. And... Uh, uh, that all emanated from the people I hired from the Ritz Carlton. That's a very um, interesting uh, and a creative yeah. approach to yeah. enhancing uh, your 
patient's experience, that's for sure. Uh, we're, working, we're working with local farmers. Um, um, so we buy the food from local farmers. Uh, we do joint things with the farmers in many of our communities. I mean, the list goes on and on. I mean, uh, I will work with um, pretty much anybody um, that uh, we believe, well, I can. And it's a win-win. They can be helped by us and we can be helped by them. Um, and uh, because the definition, how we define health, if we think about health as more than medical care and illness treatment, it changes the whole perception of what you look at. Yeah. You have done an incredible job of envisioning a, a new future for healthcare organizations and thinking about themselves um, as more than providing sick care, as really taking into consideration the health and wellness of the communities. And that broadens your ability, or at least in thinking, your ability to uh, collaborate with unlikely allies or bring together potentially some adversaries into your allyship. Well, you know, if you look at, if, if you look at yourself as a consumer, in a consumer business, and um, take any family or an individual, I mean, the way I look at it is that you're a patient for very short periods of time, but you should be our customer for a lifetime. Yeah. We should be your partner in life and health. Uh, and treat you well when you're a patient, but your periods of being a patient are short term. The question is then, how do I continue to provide education, uh, and, uh, enhance knowledge, uh, provide ongoing support as a and build loyalty as a customer to our organization over time? This is why, for example, one of the terminologies, one of the, the words that is the, often used in hospitals all over the places, you come to the hospital, you're discharged. I'm trying to eliminate the word get rid of the use of the word discharge ah. because I'm not discharging you. I'm, dis I'm transitioning you to either home, home care, an ambulatory site, or whatever. And so it's a series of transitions. And I should be a central part of that transition process and have you become a loyal customer to me as we do it. If we get to think that way, then what you do completely changes. That is very true. That is very true. Let's assume you have the ear now of our listeners, which span across the different sectors of the health ecosystem and others. What is one thing that you would ask them to do to step up to the plate, to be thinking differently about their role as stewards of health and wellness? I would say uh, um, be, be unbelievably open to partner, uh, to become part of the health, the community health team. Um, that I play a role, it's like any big sports team, and I did play a lot of competitive sports in the old days, that I, I play this role, you play that role, but the only way the team wins is if we play together. And if we all play together, the community wins. And our individual companies will win. Uh, so it's not a trade-off of I win, you lose, you lose, I win. It's what we do together. So ask yourself the question, as a health leader, which you all are, how do I partner to enhance community health? 
not just the health of my individual members, community health. And that's needed now more than ever before. So uh, let me go off, go a little bit far afield maybe, but I don't think so. We live in a toxic political world where compromise is a bad term, where collaboration is seen as negative, um, where there is no civility in public, in, in policy discourse. We need to bring back this sense of civility. Mm -hmm. If you do that, that improves health. Imagine the messages that we're sending to our kids today when they see leaders doing nothing but blaming the other person for every problem that goes on and nobody willing to partner, right? Um, so we have a kind of, we have a kind of a, as a, a toxic malaise around the place, you know, and we need, we need civility. We need decency. We need a sense of humanity. We need honesty. We need to build trust. We're in the trust business, all of us. So if you're a leader out there, a member of your, your audience, how do we become a proponent of trust building? Mm. Right? How do I build trust? How do I get out of my comfort zone? You know, and, uh, you know, you can disagree without being disagreeable. But at the end of the day, um, we're not here, you know, just to feather our own individual lessons to say, look at my individual career. I did well for myself and my family. That's all great. But the question is, is what do I do for the family, the community family? You, you've been a, a strong advocate of collaboration. You've been a strong advocate of learning, of, of, right. of learning. There's lessons to be learned in every experience that we, that we share right. together. Tell me how you remain optimistic that this challenge that we have been through over the 17, 18 months will not go to waste, that we will learn from this and move in a direction that you've just outlined? Well, I'm optimistic by nature because I, you know, if I ask myself, what's the alternative? Uh, you know, the alternative is to, you know, uh, you know, stick your head in the pillow and feel like, oh, my God, look how everything, how bad everything is. No, I, be I believe in the United States. I believe that we live in a great country. Uh, I believe that our responsibility is to make it better. Um, and I, I believe that because of the experience we went over the past 18 months, I don't think that is anybody that hasn't been changed by it. Our perspective has changed. Um, but it takes leaders to stand up and not let the not let us get complacent again. Not so I believe we have enough leaders around that that believe that the future can always be better than yesterday. That we live in we live for tomorrow, not yet. Yesterday's gone. We can't undo what we did yesterday, but we can build to have a better tomorrow. This is why when people say, What about New York City? Is New York City not coming back? New York City is coming back. And, and one other thing, you know, people have gone through much worse than what we went through in the past 12 months. Yes. Right. And in, I mean, you know, if you look through history, and I'm a big student of history, if you look through history, what we went through was bad. Unfortunately, too many people lost their lives. But it is not at all anywhere near what other people in other periods of time have gone through. I say to my staff, I say, you think this is bad? Imagine being walking the streets of London during the bombing during World War II. How does that look? Uh, if you're in Ethiopia right now, 
Or if you're in Afghanistan and you're trying to save yourself from the Taliban and you have kids in a family with no hope, uh, or you're an immigrant trying to leave a, a war-torn country and figuring out where can I go uh, to have some sense of any sense of security, put yourself in that situation. What we went through was not that bad. This is why this is why you are um, such an incredible leader, Michael, because as you mentioned earlier, communication is the key, but it's communicating the right stories right. and the right experiences, which is what you do so well. Um, and that's what moves people to want to follow you. Um, your purpose is clear, and uh, I'm sh- I, I can't imagine anybody listening to you not wanting to follow. Um, with that said, I'm going to lead, lead you into the last question, which is what I ask everybody at the end of the podcast, which is what do you want your legacy to be as a leader in our industry? Oh, uh, you know, if you think of um, um, you want to be, no, I think, and I, you know, it's an interesting question. You want to be known as somebody that was decent, honest caring, and somebody that tried, that played the game, that didn't stand on the sidelines, but was in the arena and played the game. And if you're in the arena and play the game, um, it's an awful lot better than being a, 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 you know, somebody standing on the sidelines throwing throwing stones. Um, But I think at the end of the day, you know, if, uh, you know, to be to be basically human, caring, and honest, have integrity, and uh, you know, always try to do better tomorrow than you did yesterday. <laughs> That's um, uh, you know, it's not the, you know, it's not about getting uh, getting awards and honors and having your name open. You know, what do people remember about you? They, they don't remember the, the the award you got. They'll remember what you did. And what you tried to do. And how you made them feel. And how you make them feel. Um, yeah. Um, you want to make, you want to, you want to get people to feel good about the possibilities that exist in the future. Well, you have, cer- you have certainly done that and please continue to do that. Um, we need more leaders like you that speak the way that you do and have the passion for health and wellness in order to really change the trajectory of where we're going as a, as a country. Thank you. Thank you. For those of you interested in learning more about leadership, please visit us at TLD Group's website. Join us for more interviews with health ecosystem leaders during our podcast series. And of course, stay tuned for the release of our book entitled From Competition to Collaboration, How Leaders Cultivate Cross-Sector Partnerships to Deliver Value and Transform Health. Thank you for joining us.